This is a Full Circle podcast, connecting ideas with the power to act. This podcast is brought to you from our archives at Full Circle Brussels. We're a unique community of thinkers and doers discussing ideas that matter. Today, I'm introducing economist Uri Gnizzi. Uri Gnizzi is Epstein Atkinson Endowed Chair in Behavioural Economics and Professor of Economics and Strategy at Rady School of Management, UC San Diego. As a researcher, his focus is on putting behavioural economics to work in the real world, where theory can meet application. Sit back and enjoy the talk. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. Um, these ladies kept me busy today. It's not my first talk today, and it's not my first glass today, so hopefully it would be interesting and not too embarrassing. What we're going to do now is uh, something like a 20 minutes introduction to behavioural economics. What is it that we are studying? Then I'll give you a challenge, and you'll try to hopefully talk about it during uh, dinner, during the main course. And then we're going, to have, we'll, we're going to go around the tables and ask each table to give a 60 seconds presentation of the solution that you came up with. And then we'll have you know, a competition. We'll have a winner, and then the ladies will decide what's the prize. I don't know what's the prize. It's, uh, Okay, so you have already decided that, oh, she, you're going to choose the winner. Okay, so the, right, you have the... So what, what, what is it that brought me here today? Um, think about, you know, the figure that I like to think about is a 55-year-old man who is obese, goes to the doctor, the doctor, doctor tells him, you know, tells him, look, you're pre-diabetic. If you won't do, if you'll keep the same way in here, you won't be able to get off your chair. Right? You won't be able to, you know, it's going to be, it's really horrible. Your future is really going to be horrible. You're very near future. But I have a solution for you. If you walk half an hour a day, you're going to be so much better. Life is going to be so much better for you. And that guy doesn't walk half an hour a day. 20 minutes a day even would be enough, right? So how can, you, how can we construct incentives to convince people to do something when the incentives are already so strong, right? Imagine... No one asked him to run a marathon. They asked him to walk 20 minutes a day in order to, to make his life so much better in the near future. And you don't get them to do that. And we have lots of examples of this. You give people, uh, people get a heart attack, they go to the hospital, they get uh, medicine that can help them. I should pause for a second, right. And we had a session with the bikini earlier today, so it's, you know, you missed that. Yeah, 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 of course. You want to see the picture, you know, you can find them online. Um, so, how can you introduce incentives into such an environment? Like, like I said, you know, a guy gets a heart attack, goes to the hospital, goes through, you know, the, the, the scariest time of his life. They release him from the hospital. They give him some pills that he needs to take, to take once a day. And we know that they are really good for you. They really reduce the chance that you'll get another one, another heart attack. And people take it for a week, two weeks, a month. Then they say, oh, but we, are, we feel so well, we don't need it or it's, a, it's some kind of conspiracy of the pharmaceutical industry, and whatever, they start taking them, and they're much more likely to get back. How do you introduce incentives into environment that the incentives are already so strong, right? Th those are the kind of things that we are asking ourselves and to try to do. Now, traditional economics treated, you know, treated people, traditional economics doesn't understand these kind of people because it treats them like hyper-rational people who don't care about anyone you know, but themselves who are profit maximizer, really boring people. So think about Mr. Spock, right? If you remember him, doesn't make mistake, he's never envious, he doesn't think about fairness, he's really very cold. On the other 
hand. So those people cannot explain the 55-year-old obese, this kind of models that doesn't exercise. On the other hand, you know, in behavioral economics, we like to think about someone like Homer Simpson, right? So we don't pay attention to details. So yesterday I came on a train and I thought that I'll get there. I, I checked in the morning, 11, 18, there is a Thales train from Amsterdam to, to Brussels, I'll take it. I show up, turns out that you need to buy the ticket in advance, ended up here eight hours later after, you know, an amazing journey. Why? Because I'm an idiot, right? Because I didn't check it, I didn't take care of it in advance. And we all like that. We, we, we have limited attention, uh, we, we make mistakes, we care about others, we care about fairness, so we, we are much more complex, much more interesting. That, those are the kind of people that we try to study in behavioral economics. And it turns out that it can lead us to, to good places. The second part of what we're doing is using data, real data, and usually from field experiments. So we really try to test our stuff. And the, the example of why it's important to test your stuff, the, my favorite example is Netflix. Netflix started in the late 90s. That's now the fifth time that you hear Netflix example today. Uh, Netflix started in the late 90s as, you know, Blockbuster was the mon monopoly. They treated people badly. They charged late fees. Netflix started, they were the Robin Hoods. They were the good guys in the neighborhood. A couple of years ago, they had another vision. They said, look, we have these physical DVDs, but now streaming is the future. So let's, let's divide the company. So instead of charging $10 for the, net, for the DVDs and the streaming, they charged $16 overnight, 60% increase splitting the company. They lost 80% of the companies in two months, $11 billion. Very expensive lesson for them. They could have avoided it by simply trying it, say, in San Diego. You would come to San Diego, try it, you'll see what the reaction of people, and decide not to do it again. Right? So that's, that's the kind of things that you should try and do. And they didn't. They pay $11 billion in tuition fee. Why I say tuition fee? Because now they said, a few months ago, the CEO came, the same person came and said, we test everything. We never do a single thing without testing. Some of the tests you'll know about, maybe you're part of an experiment, but, you know, we always test things. And, you know, last week they introduced a $1 increase in prices, but this time they made sure that they don't upset the, the customers. So they said, look, we have to do it because our costs are increasing. We're not going to charge the, the people that are already in we're not going to charge them, only the newcomers. So they really made all the effort in the world not to upset the customers. And those are the kind of things that you should think about, and you shouldn't pay $11 billion in tuition fee before that, right? So th those are the kind of things. So that's, that's our mission, right? Our mission is to try to convince people to use behavioral economics and to use field experiments to test that, you know, their intuition work. So I want to talk with you about a couple of examples, and then I'll get to the challenge or to the, to the interesting part that you need to do. So the first one was about exercising. We wanted to see whether we can pay students in San Diego to go exercise, to go to the gym. So we took a bunch of uh, students and we told them, look, we'll pay you $100 if you'll go to the gym at least eight times during the coming month. Now, students, if you pay them $100, you can get them to do anything you want, right? That, that's easy. That, that part is not a problem. The question is, what's going to happen once you stop paying them, right? So you're paying them for a month, they'll go to the gym. What's going to happen then? You can think about two hypotheses. The first one is what we call crowding out. So my favorite example of this is, of course, mine. Um, we used to live in a suburb of Tel Aviv. And we have two girls that went to the, to the daycare over there, and we needed to pick them up by 4 p.m. We used to go to Tel Aviv for lunch, and one day we were late. There was traffic. I drove like crazy because you need to be there 
by 4 p.m. to pick up your kids. That's, that's, that's the right thing to do. And then the principal introduced a fine of three euros. So if you came 10 minutes late, you had to pay three euros. Again, we were in Tel Aviv. Again, there was traffic. This time, we didn't drive like crazy because I'm not going to kill myself for three euros. Right? And we ran an experiment based on this, and that's what we found that other people did. Right? So you're not going to, to drive like crazy in order to save three euros. They, they change what you thought about it. Instead of, oh, I need to be a good person. Oh, I don't know what happens. Maybe the teacher is really upset. She's doing some bad stuff to the kid in the, in the back room. Or maybe she has to stay anyway. I didn't know. Now I know how bad it is. It's only three euros. It's not that bad. I, I might as well do it. Right? So you, could, you can think about, you know, you can make it worse. So if I was allowed to execute the parents that come late, that would have been very effective. No one would have been late. But if the, if the, the fine that you can pay is small, that's, that could be really bad. So the journalist that I started the day with told me that here in, um, in Brussels, one day the babysitter was supposed to pick up her daughter and she didn't. So the, the, the teacher took her to the police. She left the, the child at the police station. That's really bad, right? So that's almost as, you know, almost as bad as executing, right? So if you, can, if you can make the fine really bad, then it's fine. But if not, you can get some kind of weird behavior that you, you introduce incentives or a fine and you get the opposite of what you want, right? So my quarter on this was Italian, Aldo Rustacchini, and he basically said, look, Basically, what happened is that you changed from the German kind of, we were both in the Netherlands at the time, so in the Netherlands I was late once and the teacher stood at the gate for 15 minutes, you know, lecturing me why it's bad to be late and we were never late again. But in Italy, you know, everyone is late. Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, four. Yeah, yeah we'll be there, you know, it's, you'll wait for us, right? That's fine. So we changed the equilibrium, we changed the kind of behavior that they do. So that, that could be something bad that incentives do. Uh, there, there is this, uh, this story, joke about, you know, the dean talks with the freshman students, you know, that just show up to the university and tells them, look, we are not that kind of a school. So over here, the girls' dorms are for the girls and the boys for the boys. And if we catch you in the wrong dorm after 9 p.m., the first time you're going to get a $50 fine, the second time a $150 fine, and the last, you know, the third time you'll get a $300 fine. We really don't want you to go to be in the, you know, in the wrong dorm. Any questions? So one of the, um, the students raises his hand and asks, can I buy a monthly pass, right? <laughs> Basically, now you told me, well, it's just a matter of money, right? It's not about being bad. So this kind of perverse effect of, of incentives are all over the place. So maybe if we pay the students to go to the gym, they will go to gym while we are paying them, but after that, they'll go less. An alternative hypothesis is that, you know, it creates some kind of habit. People didn't go to the gym before, now they go, and now, you know, you find a place in your schedule, you know that you're going to be there Monday and Thursday at 9 a.m. for a yoga class. Or maybe before that, you know, the first time you go, it smells really bad, the second time, and by the, by the end of the month, you really enjoy the smell of sweat, or you find friends. You, I don't know what it is. Maybe the chemistry in your body changes. For some reason, you create a habit, and that's what we found. We found strong support for the habit formation. So the, the people that were paid, the students that were paid to go to the gym were much more likely to continue going to the gym. And that's, you know, that's, that's a nice uh, indication that incentives could work. But they don't always work. And that's the next example. The next example is what we call money for nothing. And many times companies and public policy, you know, uh, policy makers spend lots of money and it's basically wasted. I'll tell you, I'll give you two examples of this. The first one, you know, I went to Australia. 
And they have, so I worked with some uh, environmental companies over there, so Sustainability Victoria and something like that. They just finished a campaign in which they paid the 180 million dollars uh, for people who wanted to upgrade their appliances. So they have a star system, six stars is really efficient and they wanted to convince you to buy this. And they had no clue how efficient it was. So they saw some increase in the, in the sales of this, but they don't know how many of them you know, decided, okay, I'll, I'll change my washing machine you know, uh, three months earlier than I, than I planned to. And they don't know how many of what was the drop after that. They paid something like, so you buy a $1,500 machine, you get $200 discount. That's what they use the money. And you know, I told them, look, if instead of that, when I go to buy an appliance, I really care about what the salesperson tells me. And this salesperson has lots of influence on me. So instead of giving $200 to the person who buys something that is anyway very expensive, so the discount is not that major, give, say, $100 to the salesperson for every machine that he or she sells. Now, for that person, if you, if you sell 10 of these a day, that's really important for you. And that salesperson will know how to convince the customers to actually buy the efficient one. Right, so who you pay could be really important. It might be that the 180 million dollars were just wasted. And policymakers, you know, you get money, you're not, very often you're not accountable for the money, right? You have money to spend, and there is, no one measures the success in a way. But if you use behavioral economics in a smarter way, maybe you can do this. Here's an example of a company in which I can tell you how much they wasted, or at least, at least that amount. So we worked with a big insurance company in the US, and they insure people in, in, with Medicare. So those are people over 65. Once you reach 65, the government pays your insurance, your health insurance. This health insurance company has a very nice incentives. It's nice to work with them because they want you to be healthy. They get paid. As long as you're healthy, they get paid. If you're sick, they don't like you. But as long as you're healthy, they want to keep you healthy. So they have a list of things that they want you to do. So they have to get a flu shot, how many of you get a flu shot, by the way? Would you, get a, would you take a $10 um, payment if I'll give you when you get the flu shot, in addition to getting the flu shot? Yes, right? Why not? So the problem is that they pay you know, $10 for people to, to get a flu shot, and they pay many people that would get the flu shot anyway. And they had the whole list of these activities, and they didn't know how much they influence people, right? So they pay, they, they have a list, and you can choose five activities. For each activity, you get $10. So it's up to five activities, up to $50 a year. So if you only get a flu shot, you'll get $10. If you'll get cancer screening, some, you'll get $20. They pay people, but many of the people would have taken this flu shot and the screening even without the payment. So you're not really influencing their behavior. You're wasting your money, right? And they didn't really know what's the, how, how big it is. That's the money for nothing kind of, of thinking that they have. We went over there and we, we tried to convince them to test it. So what we did in one of the years, we told them, look, instead of paying for every activity, pay only five activities. So they need to do five activities in order to be paid and then they'll get $50. So if you do one, so if you're the kind of guy that, does, that get the flu shot and nothing else, you won't, give, you won't be paid this time. If you really care about money, you can do five activities, we'll pay you $50. Otherwise, you're not going to be paid. And what we saw was no change in behavior, basically. A bit more people, 10% or 12% more, who did five activities, and no change in the other activities. Which means that they were, these people were not influenced by the money that the company paid them which sounds okay, 
until you heard the numbers. By doing this, we saved them 50 million dollars, right? But this very small change. And those are the kind of changes that we are looking for, right? We're trying to find ways that, that are, uh, you know, that, that people can do better. So here's the challenge for you. I'm going to describe now something that I think is very, um, is very interesting because I have this conflict in my brain and I can't solve it. Maybe you can help me. So here's the story, here's the background story. So if you want to donate to a charity in the US, I think it's true in many other places, so probably here too, you're really interested in the overhead. So how much do they spend on costs, right? So I want to help whatever, whatever my uh, autistic kids in, in Antwerp or whatever my cause is. I want every dollar to go to that kid that needs the money. I don't want to pay for the overhead. I don't want to pay to the person who runs the charity. I don't want to pay for delivery, for whatever, for events. That's not what I want to spend. I want to spend the money, right? So people really look at this overhead, and you have overhead ratio uh, published everywhere. You have, to, you have to advertise your own. So every, I can tell you about every charity that you want. I can tell you what the overhead, overhead ratio that they have. And people really take this into account. The problem is that if you do this, and Dan Palotta, I don't know if you heard the name, is really a very vocal advocate for this. If you do this, you won't be able to get the best people. So when I ask my students, my MBA students, say that you can choose between working for a bank for $300,000 a year or a nonprofit for $60,000 a year, guess what they choose? Guess what they prefer? Anyone wants to guess? Right? So you don't get, you get, either you get people that are really devoted to the cause or you don't get the best people that you can. And again, I'm sorry if I'm insulting anyone who works in a nonprofit over here. That I, you know, it's really great that you're doing that, but you wouldn't mind being paid more, I think, right? The point is that if you'll get, if you'll pay more, if you'll be closer to what bankers are making, then you can get better people. If you'll get better people, these people will be better at raising money and they'll be better at actually spending the money. Like I said, it's very easy to spend public money, charity money. It's more difficult to spend it in a, in a sensible, effective way. And that's what you, you want to do, right? So as an economist, as Mr. Spock, I'm convinced that you should pay overhead. You should pay people who run charities a lot of money because you want to attract good people. You don't want to punish them for choosing to work, you know, so basically, if you, are, if you work in a charity and you're being paid $400,000 a year, you're a horrible person because you're taking money from the kids. If you work in a band, good, you're the man, right? So that, that's, that doesn't make sense. I'm convinced, as an economist, as Mr. Spock, I'm convinced you should pay them a lot of money. Now, here's the second part of the argument. Imagine that I fly from San Diego to Brussels. It's a very long flight. And then on my way to economy, because I'm a poor professor, I pass by the guy from the charity who sits in the first class, drinking his champagne. I gave him money last week. He flies first class, I fly in economy. That doesn't make sense, right? I don't like that. That's a really bad idea, right? That's not irrationality. So I have Mr. Simpson over here who says, you know, I, why was I so stupid to give money to this guy who flies first class? And I have Mr. Spock who says, well, we wanted to get the best people. He has to fly first class. Yes, but I'm flying economy. You know, so I cannot resolve this conflict in my head. That's, that's what 
creates nice paradoxes, I think, right? I cannot resolve it in my head. Your challenge, what I ask you to do to discuss during um, the main course, is what kind of behavioral change can we do to, to solve this conflict in a sense, right? On the one end, we want to pay them lots of money to attract good people. On the other end, we don't want to be, you know, we don't want them to, to fly first class when we fly economy. How can we solve this? Right? So any, any suggestion would be, would be good and, you know, behavioral, something behavioral would be interesting and like I said, we'll go around the tables, each one will have 60 seconds and we'll have a competition, we'll have a vote over here at the end. You want to add something to that or? No. No? No. Very good. So, very good. We'll go after, after the main course, we'll go around again. to our talk. We'll be back soon with more thought-provoking content. So if you enjoyed this talk, please consider following our podcast on Spotify and other podcast streaming services. In the meantime, you can keep up to date with our events at Full Circle Ideas on Facebook or watch our other talks and interviews on YouTube at Full Circle Brussels. Until next time, 